Hello there. Um, just, uh, oh, it's saying I'm not live. If I am, I apologize. It says I'm alive in 30 seconds. Let's see if this works. <clears throat> Hello, uh, this is another attempt at a YouTube live video. Um, this is my third attempt. Uh, the first one was yesterday. You can actually watch it. Um, everything worked fine except that uh, it was published anonymously or in an un un unlisted website, so or an unlisted address, so nobody could see it. And then I just did one about five minutes ago, but I had a terrible cough, so I scrapped it. So this is uh, my third attempt. And the idea for me is um, to try to use these YouTube live videos to talk about some of the themes that I'm writing about, that I'm thinking about, that I'm reading about. And um, uh, I've been doing that on Facebook Lives, but I'd like to kind of move over to YouTube and um, kind of use that as the platform. So, you know, I, I, once I'm comfortable with the technology, uh, I'll probably uh, try to do this on a regular basis, uh, maybe even timetabling it in advance so that you can come in live if you'd like. Uh, and then maybe, you know, I can read comments and we can engage back and forth. But. Uh, this morning I wanted to talk a little bit about um, a debate that I was watching actually uh, between uh, Sam Harris and uh, Jordan Peterson. Um, as some of you know I'm doing a, a conference in October on Peterson and um, so I'm doing kind of research on him and uh, kind of looking at some of his lectures and some of his debates. And in this debate with Sam Harris they talk a little bit about uh, what do we believe what are uh what motivates us what what is uh what are we connected to um what do we live from and so i just thought i'd talk a little bit about that uh the common sense notion is one we all know uh is the idea that we are self-transparent uh we know what we believe uh you know the question you get a lot is you know what do you believe and the, the question presupposes that you know what you believe and of course you know what you believe because you're you. Um, you know, you may not know what other people think, but you can know what you think about a given situation, about um, a religious or political or cultural idea. But there's a problem with this. And, um, you know, you can go right back to Greek philosophy to see this. Um, and it's developed more systematically in the 19th and 20th century. But the idea that actually we're not transparent to ourselves and that strange as it initially sounds we often don't know what we believe in fact we actively hide from what we believe it's not simply that um, we may be unaware of our beliefs but actually we often have all sorts of defense mechanisms that are designed to actually protect us from knowing what we believe so that we don't have to confront it um, you know a simple example of this is uh, you know most people today don't believe in ghosts uh, but many many people are afraid of them right late at night you hear something outside and suddenly you're thinking that it's some creature out to get you uh, most people don't believe that a duvet cover can protect them from a knife attack but if they hear something in the living room they might pull it over their heads as if it's some sort of invisibility cloak or invincibility shield um, or, you know, we, uh, we may think that we love a family member, 
that we're always going around, we're always caring for them. But weirdly, we have dreams in which we're hurting them. Um, and we kind of realize that, oh my goodness, maybe I actually don't like this person. Maybe um, I'm deceiving myself. And it sounds weird at first, the idea that our consciousness can be the very thing that prevents us from seeing what we believe. But I think we all intuitively know it. Uh, that's why people keep journals, for example. You, know, you write a journal and then maybe you look back on it and you get distance from yourself and you see yourself and you're able to reflect on your view of the world and um, you know you you come to see things that you might not otherwise see uh, so this is common you'll meet somebody who seems like they're very confident they're always talking about how great they are but you dig a little bit deeper and you discover that they're full of doubts and self-hatred and the thing is it's not even that you know they're deceiving you but they're deceiving themselves they don't even realize it uh, or you know uh, you obviously on Instagram you have people who are you know like trying to present their best life um, but often it's not that they're trying to deceive you that they have this amazing life uh, at a more fundamental level they might be in a sense deceiving themselves so whenever you're constructing your social media profile um, you're you're photoshopping your life but you're not necessarily photoshopping your life for another person in one sense you're trying to maybe convince yourself that this is your life that these are the books that you read this is the the food that you eat you know this is the lifestyle that you have um, we are incredibly good at self-deception um, and that's the bread and butter of psychoanalysis is the the idea of helping people come to see things that they might not be able to admit beliefs that they have. I know people who don't believe in hell, but are terrified of going there. People who don't believe in God, but are scared of God. People who, um, you know, it's, it's everywhere. People who uh, have a sense that if they fly, something terrible is gonna happen. They don't think it. You know, they know that statistically, it's very unlikely they'll crash. And yet they, they believe that if they get on that plane, it will crash, right? Um, so we have we have ways of deceiving ourselves but then the the idea then the response to that is the common response which is oh yeah well your beliefs are in your actions if you want to know what you believe look at how you act and interact uh, look at how you navigate the world um, that's going to tell you more about what you believe and what animates you than you know what you think in your consciousness so, you know, the common sense wisdom here is look at your way of interacting in the world and it will tell you things about yourself that you might not otherwise notice. But there's a problem here as well because beliefs can be just as deceptive, or sorry, actions can be just as deceptive as words. Uh, the family, right, is, is partly designed to help... Uh, mold a person so that they act in certain ways so that they can get on in society so that they can interact with other people but what happens of course is you know you find that certain behaviors are unacceptable you repress them you you act in a certain way and you might be acting in a certain way to deceive other people so for example you know you might be going to an interview and so you're going to pretend that you're very confident so you know you know you're not confident 
but you're like you're in there you're all dressed up you look good and you're gonna you're gonna give this impression that you are the right person for the job but i'm not talking about that necessarily i'm talking about the next level where you can actually deceive yourself that you know your actions could be you're a very like take a very self-sacrificial mother for example who is always looking out for her children always like doing so much for them driving them everywhere they want to go always picking them up no matter how late at night it is um, always tidying their room always always just giving themselves to their children uh, so this action is one that the, the the mother and also the children and everybody else might think is oh my goodness look how self-giving look how loving this activity is but sometimes excessive self-sacrifice you know can hide something it can hide the fact that maybe the mother is trying to be a martyr to kind of show like you know look you'll miss me when i'm gone or to make people feel indebted or because she hates herself and this is the only way for her to feel valued and feel valuable right so there's all sorts of things but it may not be obvious to the person themselves let alone anybody else okay so if both beliefs and actions can deceive us as to what our real desires and fears and motivations are then of course this looks like we're at an impasse then how do we ever have access to the things that motivate us and drive us to our fears and our real beliefs and our drives uh, are we just left without any kind of roadmap uh, and this is where this is where psychoanalysis comes in because in psychoanalysis there is actually something that can help unlock some of our desires the tensions the the drives within us and it's not our conscious beliefs generally it's not our actions it's our symptoms right so what is a symptom well a symptom is a subset of actions a symptom is uh, it's called a compromise formation the symptom is the result of some sort of conflict within the individual between two or more desires and it, it erupts in this compromise formation which is the symptom so to give you an example because this is used in movies a lot i actually don't know any film off the top of my head that does this but it's a you know we can imagine a movie where there's like uh, two crime bosses say in new york and one of the crime bosses sends a messenger to the other crime boss uh, to say they want a new territory right um, and so in this scene of this fictional movie uh, this messenger stands in front of this this uh you know mafia guy and uh delivers the news we want this new uh, area uh, to sell drugs and we need you to back off and then we could imagine the camera you know going close into the mafia boss and a simple twitch a simple twitch in his eye right now what does the twitch mean um the mafia boss is just remaining calm not saying or doing anything just listening but the twitch in a sense uh, in cinematic terms is telling the audience that this this individual has a conflictual desire 
what he wants to do is he wants to get up out of his chair, grab his gun, shoot this messenger and start an all-out war with the enemy. But he also wants to stay calm, not do anything too crazy because if he starts a war, it's going to devastate um, his business and potentially take his life. So this is like two desires conflicting and the symptom, the twitching of the eye is the truth. It's what tells us kind of what's going on and what, what these desires and wishes are. Or if you imagine, you know, Batman is in a, a difficult situation and uh, he clenches his jaw. So even smaller than an eye twitch, just the clenching of the jaw can communicate that Batman, you know, wants to remain true to his code of conduct and not do anything crazy, but also wants to kill the criminal in front of him or whatever. So the symptom, in a sense, is this, it's an involuntary, right? Our actions can be, you know, conscious and we keep an eye on them, whatever, but the symptom is this explosion that happens that communicates a truth that we cannot speak, a truth that remains hidden from us consciously and also remains hidden from our actions. So, you know, I, you know somebody might grind their teeth at night and, uh, you know, they think that, okay, the way to fix the grinding of the teeth is to maybe put in some sort of guard in the mouth and that will stop damaging your teeth. And sometimes, you know, there might be a purely biological reason for grinding your teeth. But for some people, it's a symptom. It might be a symptom because they, for example, really dislike their landlord, right, or their landlady. And they're like, uh, they want to shout at her. They want to, you know, stand up to her, but they can't because if they do, you know, they create a bad atmosphere. The landlady might make their life hell, might want to get rid of them. And so they remain polite in front of the landlady. And what happens then is this conflictual desire, you know, I want to explode in rage, but also I want to be polite and nice and, you know, uh, civilized means that at night you're grinding your teeth that is the that is the the hermeneutic key that can unlock the truth and it's very important because if you can listen to your symptom and you can hear what it's saying then it can help you if you can express that make it conscious it can really help it can actually help dissipate the symptom um an example of this, I just want to show you. Um, some of you will have seen this before. I've used it before, but um, I'm holding up in front of you a poster that was uh, from the Soviet Union. Um, it's a propaganda poster, a uh, very simple propaganda poster, exactly what you would imagine a uh, Soviet propaganda poster to be. You have obviously Stalin there, you have the Navy, you have battleships in the background, you have a flag waving over overhead. And, um, you know, I think it was done in 1948 uh, by a guy called Pyotr Golub. Now, what was interesting about this propaganda poster is that it was made, <clears throat> you know, it, it was sketched out, it was painted, it was even printed. But at the very last minute, uh, the censorship committee uh, decided that this was an abomination. Um, they said it had to be destroyed 
and uh, Piotr I think was arrested and you know probably killed as a result of this um, and it's actually a very hard poster to, to find uh, it took me a while to, to find a good uh, image of it now the thing about this poster is let's take it as a, a kind of an analogy for all of us like we we are propaganda posters right we are uh, whenever we're on our social media we present a, a, you know I say a, a purified image of ourselves an image of ourselves that we want to present to the world and to ourselves and that's what a propaganda poster does in a sense it tries to you know create a photoshop version of the state that it um, not only wants to deliver to the people but also wants to self-affirm <clears throat> so what is it about this poster that made it an abomination um, well it's interesting because the first time you see it it's very hard to actually appreciate and this is why it got so far this is why it almost got you know put up on walls is that um, there is some anomaly in it that is hard to see until I point it out and the anomaly is if you look at Stalin's fingers um, I actually might be able to uh, zoom in on this let me uh, give this a go hold on um, yeah if you if we zoom in on um, uh, Stalin's hand, we see that there are there's a missing finger, right? Instead of uh, four fingers, there's three, and the hands kind of look really badly drawn. They're like monstrous. They're cartoonish, and it's really weird to see that when you kind of uh, take into consideration that uh, everything else is so well drawn on the poster. So what, what's going on here? Well, you could say, you know, first things first is, okay, it was just a mistake, right? This guy was painting um, and he, you know, made a mistake, right? But it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to kind of conceive that because you go, well, look, the guy's obviously talented. Um, and not only would he have to be bad at drawing hands, He'd have to be bad at knowing he was bad at drawing hands, right? Because it's one thing, like, not... And I've heard drawing hands is difficult, right? So it's one thing going, like, oh, that, that, was, that was badly done. But not only would he have to be bad at it, he would have to not know it, right? So, or, or think, oh, it'll be fine. Stalin will be happy with that. It doesn't matter that I've given him, like, three fingers instead of four. Oh, it'll be okay, right? <laughs> so that doesn't kind of make sense. So then the other option is, oh, well, did he do this on purpose, right? Was this a political statement? But there doesn't seem to be any evidence for that. This is a young guy um, who would know that he'd be killed. Um, potentially his family would suffer as, as well. And it doesn't have any um, icono iconography, uh, any connections, iconography in, in, uh, in Russia to, you know, to, to represent some sort of political uh, dissident or a message of liberation or revolution <clears throat> so you know one other way of approaching this is through the symptom uh, the Freudian slip as it's often called which is that it's the deliberate mistake it's the thing that the mistake we make but we don't know that we make it that this person drew this hand and somehow was blind to the mistake and if you just take the poster and you go, okay, well, where is the truth of the poster? Well, the truth isn't in the propaganda. The truth is in the hands, right? The truth is in the monstrous thing that doesn't fit in 
with everything else in the frame. It is the little detail that stands out. Right. Now, I brought this to be framed, and I was talking to the guy who was framing it, and he said, oh, you know what? It's interesting that the guy only has three fingers because what other characters only have three fingers? And uh, I was like, what? And he says, well, cartoon characters. Right. And he's like, oh yeah, all these old cartoon characters with three fingers. Um, that in one sense, you could see this being saying that the regime is cartoonish, right? The regime is monstrous. It's a cartoonish thing. It's it, the truth is there's something, uh, something unsavory underneath, or something comical underneath. Now, this is exactly what a detective does, right? So you, I'm, I love Columbo, and um, you know, you, you, if you watch Columbo, you'll know he'll come into a scene. And the crime scene is exactly the way the murderer wants it to be. So the murderer has kind of like cultivated a certain look to the crime scene that will lead the police um, to think the wrong thing. Just like our actions can be cultivated to deceive us and other people as to you know our real desires. So then Columbo comes in and Columbo doesn't look at the entire scene, the propaganda scene, right? And find the truth. Columbo immediately is drawn to the anomaly, to the one thing in the scene that doesn't quite make sense. And often it isn't something. Often it's a lack of something, which makes it even more difficult to discover. So for example, Columbo goes into a house fire, right? The next day he, he's called to a house and there's been a fire, this guy has died, okay? And the police are like, well, look, this guy was a smoker, smoked 40 a day. And, uh, you know, we look at this house, there are cigarettes everywhere. And actually it looks like one of the cigarettes, you know, fell onto the ground, lit, lit up the carpet, and then basically burned the house down. So Columbo comes in and uh, he picks up a cigarette and he looks at it. And then he might say to the police officer, you know, look at that cigarette, what do you see? And the police officer will say, I don't see anything. And Columbo will be like, exactly, exactly. There's nothing there, right? When you smoke a cigarette, you suck tobacco through the filter. And so what happens is you will have a stain on the filter where you've sucked the tar through, right? And Columbo says, the cigarettes in this ashtray don't have any tar stains on them, right? So these cigarettes have been made to look like they've been smoked, but they haven't. Someone has just literally left those cigarettes to kind of burn out naturally. So then Columbo goes, so I think a non-smoker has come in here, made it look like there was a fire and killed the guy. <laughs> and, and, you know, then Columbo, from that little tiny anomaly that nobody notices in the vast array of things, that is that, the thing that kind of leads to the truth. And that is why in psychoanalysis, by the way, <clears throat> the analyst doesn't really care that much about what you're saying, right? How you're presenting yourself, you're all, what you're talking about. Where they become interested is when you have a slip of the tongue when you can't remember a name, whenever you use the wrong name, whenever you hesitate, right? It's actually the anomalies that are the royal road to truth rather than 
what's manifestly expressed. That, in a nutshell, is what a symptom is. It gets a bit more complicated, but the best way to start thinking about a symptom is it's a compromised formation that reflects uh, conflictual desires within the individual that erupts. The symptom is the truth that you cannot speak, finding a way to express itself. It is the hermeneutical key that will unlock your uh, underlying beliefs, your operating system. Um, that will reveal to you some truths that might actually be unpleasant, but that in being revealed might lead to health. And it's the same in politics. Uh, when you look at a society and a country, there is a way that the country presents itself. Certain actions like military parades or whatever, um, and certain uh, uh, discourse that describes what it is. But then you have the symptoms which might be explosions of violence uh, within the police or the judicial system or homeless population or something like that, that doesn't fit with the carefully manicured vision and expression of that country. You know, the country wants you to think that the truth is in what is said and also maybe in the parades and the, the things, that the rituals that are enacted, that are carefully crafted. But the truth comes out in the little anomalies that don't fit with that um, will often tell us more about what's going on in a given society so there you go there's just some thoughts on um, belief action deception and the truth of the symptom uh, the symptom can reveal to us what we do not want revealed uh, the psychoanalyst Lacan um, uh, you had an old-fashioned way of spelling symptoms, symptom, and in French, symptom symptom sounds like holy man, and uh, in a way, that's what a symptom is. It's a it's a prophet. Uh, if you listen to the symptom, it will speak unpleasant truth. <laughs> but if you listen to that unpleasant truth and you repent, as in you change your ways as a result of that message, you will find yourself being able to live in a much better way and more expansive way. But if you refuse to listen to that prophet, if you close your ears to it, uh, you will continue to live um, in ways that are sick, that in ways that uh, prevent you from affirming life in its, in, in its depth and its breadth. Okay, thanks very much for checking in. I hope this uh, actual uh, YouTube live video worked. Please let me know if it did. Um, let me know if there's ways that I can improve it or if there's topics that you would like me to discuss and, um, and I'll, I'll try and do that. So thanks for listening if you did. And uh, yeah, I appreciate your feedback and um, I'm hoping that if this works, I can continue to do, I can continue to do this. Take care, bye-bye.